FYI, and I don't mean fake news, this podcast contains huge spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode... 337 of the podcast that goes snicked. I'm your host, Jason, Class A Weenie Venable, and I'm joined by special flashback co-host, John, he's greater than a corpse, Wilson. Hey, John. That's what my wife tells me. (laughs) (laughs) Hey-oh! Or something Uh. like that. (laughs) <laughs> right, right. <laughs> That's hilarious. All right, so we're going to cover just a a short but pretty good uh, three-part story. We're back to uh, the Wolverine solo series for Blood and Claws, um, which, by the way, I had never read before now. So oh. it, it was one of the things that, you know, uh, I was feeling in. So I think I've talked about this a little bit before, and, um, and we'll kind of get into the comics. But um, you know, I had gotten out of comics, you know, in high school and college, and then got back in uh, pretty much right after I graduated college and, and moved, and didn't have as many friends where I lived anymore. <laughs> and so I, I uh, got got way back into X Men and went and filled in my holes, and was started buying new comics again, and did that kind of exploded into reading. Oh, all the way too many things I'm reading now. Um, but yeah, um, I relate to that. <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, so at some point I started filling in the Wolverine solo series, you know, bits and pieces where I could. And I was kind of reading them as I got them. But then after I started the podcast, everything else that I bought after that, I saved. So this is one that I bought or these three issues I bought um, after I started the podcast. So I never read them until, you know, I got ready to to talk about them on the show. So I was pretty excited to, to get to this, you know, seeing Lady Deathstrike on the cover of two of the three issues. And so that's always a, a fun, fun matchup. So I know you had read these not too long ago in your, your regular reading project. Had you read them before that? No, my uh, my solo Wolverine reading, actually pretty much all of my X-Men reading from this time period was pretty much nil more than five years ago. Okay. So uh, whenever I started up reading through X-Men, I read these, I guess it's probably been close to two years ago now. Okay. Uh, through that um, that era. And, you know, silly me, rereading it now, I thought that this was maybe Deathstrike's first appearance. But, of course, it's not. She's been oh, with the Reavers no, no. for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they ha- in fact, they actually referenced a couple of the- Well, I guess we'll get to that. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, she is definitely, though... You know, it's funny how things, I guess, ebb and flow. Because I remember when I was a teenager, you know, reading in and out of comics, uh, Wolverine solo comics, and reading X-Men uh, religiously... Um, I always kind of thought like Deathstrike was like like she's number two behind Sabretooth, right? Like mm-hmm. as far as Wolverine rivals, and it, and I think during the early part of Hammond's run that bears out, and then she kind of disappears for a while. Um, 
But it's always fun to, to see her. I, I really dig her as a, a Wolverine foil. So what are, you, what are your thoughts on Lady Deathstrike as a whole? And then we'll kind of... So the first... I, I can't remember how much of an inkling I had of her before seeing X2, um, okay. X-Men United. Right. Um, I don't remember how much I knew about her before that. That was my first real exposure to her as a concept. Um, and of course, there she's got kind of, she's got kind of a Black Widow look to her, you know, the sleek leather cat suit, and um, you know, BA fighter, and you know, she has the the law, the claws that come out of her hands, and of course, those are you know frightening. Right. Um, but then the first time I saw her in the comics, I was like, is that Deathstrike? Because her look. In these early, I don't know if it changes later, but her look in this is like a really weird G.I. Joe action figure. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. And I think yeah. we actually talked about that because I think she appeared in the um, in the Guy's Night Out issue that we talked about, maybe. Right, yeah. Um, so she, she kind of has a strange look to her. And also, I really want to read some more of her connections, like from, probably when it was established early on, I need to go back and reread it, but her connections to the guy who created Adamantium and uh-huh. like how she's getting revenge for him. And I'm looking at her list of her appearances and her first appearances were in Daredevil, not even in, in a X book. So right, yeah. it, it's all just like, okay, there's obviously some <laughs> death strike I need to read. Yeah, no, I, I would like to see her become a more prominent marvel character again you know however that might look nowadays but um and you were right after um after like wolverine i mean she's here she's in the 40s she's in the 50s and she's in the 70s and then she's not in wolverine again until like the 170s right so yeah she does kind of disappear from marvel for a while yeah yeah it's interesting um how that kind of happens to characters they'll be be kind of big shots for a while and then kind of forgotten and then they'll you know come back every now and then and, you know be be cool um not that he's a big shot but the same thing happened to toad he disappeared right? for a hundred years of avengers a <laughs> hundred issues of avengers and comes back and like he's frightening when he comes back <laughs> yeah right right he's uh had a little more uh, mutation by the time uh life gets a hold of him yeah um the, the teeth mutation <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so um in case you've been following along, um a little bit of housekeeping. You know, we're getting to the point now. I guess we've been there probably been there a few months now, but um we're trying to put Wolverine appearances in any kind of logical order is getting next to impossible. Um I'm still following along the uh, Marvel complete reading orders. So so even though these this story really continues right out of of issue 34 of Wolverine. And we've since covered Extinction Agenda and got back into Uncanny X-Men a little bit. And we'll kind of be bouncing back and forth between the two books, even though the stories run to, like, the Wolverine story and the Uncanny story kind of doesn't really break. So I don't, I don't know how you really decide where to put stuff. But I'm going to go with with the reading order for now until... It doesn't make sense to me anymore, and then I'll decide what to do then. <laughs> yeah, the Uncanny, I think, series is a bit 
harder to break up than Wolverine is in these early days. But right. at the same time, Wolverine is going to get to the point where it's running into itself over and over again, <laughs> issue after issue. And really, really, the stuff that happens at the end of this sets up the next arc, yeah. which sets up the next arc. And it just kind of goes for a while. Right. Yeah, it does. And so it's going to be hard to we we'll just kind of have to know that we're just going to go back and forth on the podcast and just in, enjoy it as they come. So, yep. Just pretend that Wolverine has, you know, enough time in his life to do both things. <laughs> right. <laughs> Definitely. All right. So Blood and Claws starts off in Wolverine number 35. And this, is, of course, is written by Larry Hama, art by Mark Silvestri, inks by Dan Green, letters by Pat Brasseau, colors by Glennis Oliver, and our cover is by Sylvester and Green, and I love this cover. Basically, we have Gateway way in the background on his little rock, spinning his bolo, and then Lady Deathstrike jumping out of the rock, and a shirtless Wolverine and a unitard wearing Puck running away from her, and she's quite terrifying looking. Um, I don't know, what do you think of this cover? I agree. She is very terrifying looking. She is horrendous and horrific, actually. Horrific and frightening and deadly. Um, I would totally expect the way, just just from the visual, that Wolverine and Puck have no chance in hell. They are about to die. (laughs) Right. (laughs) They almost look like, it was almost kind of a funny... Reversal. I never really thought about this just now, but it's almost like um, kind of a horror motif where Deathstrike is the monster and Wolverine and Puck are the damsels in distress who are about to get murdered. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. I have, but it's a, I have a question. Yes. Everyone gives Rob Liefeld crap, but let me ask you this. Why does no <laughs> one ever talk about Mark Silvestri's ability to draw feet? Um. I would also throw just anything below the knee in that equation. Um, <laughs> yeah, his he's very stylized with his. Uh, actually, you want you want an honest answer, Mister Wilson? Please, <laughs> because because uh, Sylvester turns into drawing a lot of really really sexy art, and people give him a free pass. I think. Hey, yay! So not only do we have you know unfair bias in our <laughs> artists we also have misogyny well, well it was the 90s <laughs> I, I love the patriarchy okay let's keep going <laughs> no i mean i don't know that's, that makes sense to me i don't know that's yeah that no, cool. makes sense to me too um i think by the time you get all witch blades boobies you kind of forget about people's speech i don't know <laughs> and like life held while he did tried to draw sexy never really pulled it off i don't think like his figures are always too weird and not not playboy enough like sylvester got later in his career well he definitely feeds into the tropes of sexy female superhero art Um, but i don't think it's as like um Skill? I don't think it's quite close enough to, re- <laughs> you know, there's a certain like realism that makes right. things sexier. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he quite hits that. I think it's just too much of a comic book cartoon. Right. Yeah. I think kind of the same thing with like Eric Larson, um, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, kind of went for, especially in his early image career, kind of went for the sexy and, 
it, you know, I think some people will dig it, but it always came off as a little too like like Archie comics, but but really sexed up. <laughs> yeah, like the two the two cantaloupes on the front don't really right. do anything for me. <laughs> right. I am curious about though, um, when did Eric Larson clone Mary Jane? Because he obviously took a clone of Mary Jane with him <laughs> to the Savage went. Dragon. <laughs> Because I was reading issue four for the podcast today, and Amanda Mills shows up for the second time, and I found out that she's a character who sticks around for a while, which is the only reason I'm mentioning her, because she's evidently important. And she is exactly his Mary Jane design. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, you know, I guess he probably had some some basic models that he did, and, you know, went went from there. Um, Because there's, oh, I forget what it is, but... um, there's a character he does eventually in Savage Dragon 2 that also looks a lot like his Punisher. Mm-hmm. Like, just, just the headshot version. Like, not talking about costume or anything, but just the the facial construction. Because he gave the Punisher a very unique kind of look. And I think, I'm pretty sure he apes it in a, in a Savage Dragon bad guy a little bit down the road. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I think people just kind of fall into... This is my style, and this is this is how I draw, and you know, here we go. But, but yeah, I also really like the colors on this cover as well. The yellows and oranges look really, really rad. I'm looking at a scan of the original next to the digital recoloring that I have, mm-hmm. and um, the really dark orangish red shadowy part of the mountain has been turned into more of a muddy green on mine. Oh, interesting. And the colors of her costume have also been, uh, the lighting has been removed. So you have like the camo effect green on her vest and such. So the colors are a little bit different. And honestly, I'm going to say not quite as effective. Yeah. It wanna... probably makes it easier uh... to read. But as, an art, <laughs> as a piece of art, it's not quite as effective. Oh, I'll have to look that up later. Uh, are you looking that on uh Marvel Unlimited or something else? Yeah, Comicsology. I'll just say okay, that to you. Cool. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, in this issue, uh, remember last time we left the solo series, Wolverine was running around Canada trying to reconnect with his past, and that's kind of where we are now. So here, uh, Logan visits Puck at a Vancouver bar where he's playing substitute bouncer for his injured friend Bambi. Lady Deathstrike is on Wolverine's trail in Japan, where she kills two cops at the scene from the end of issue 33. Back in Canada, Logan scares the locals by stabbing his arm into a table and then picking the table up with his stabby arm. Um, Back in Japan, Lady Deathstrike hacks into the police computer in the patrol car and finds reports of Logan's burial in Majapur, so she has Gateway Teleporter in. In Madripoor, she threatens Tiger Tiger. I think actually she's she's dropped the second Tiger. Um, so she threatens Tiger, who shows her a postcard from Vancouver. Logan and Puck go fishing, where they reminisce about hanging out with Ernest Hemingway in 1937 Spain. Though Puck doesn't remember Logan being there, and Logan can't remember how he remembers. Trying to trick Gateway back in Australia, Lady D tells him to send her where Wolverine is looking. But he's looking at an old photo, so Gateway sends her to 1937 Spain, accidentally or maybe not accidentally, pulling Logan and Puck in along the way. Time shenanigans as Puck bullfights, 
Our heroes hang out with Hemingway and Inez. Logan sword fights a Nazi airplane, and Lady D gets captured by Nazi forces. All right. <laughs> yeah, buddy. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll be honest. the The left turn into Civil War Spain was not expected. No, I really was surprised by that. Um, you know, you have the whole part. Uh, you know, I didn't mention in the in the quick synopsis, but there's the whole game. Where they're playing uh, what split the fly? <laughs> this lady's like yes. spitting on the table and pours sugar on it, and a fly comes out of nowhere and she stabs it with a knife. And then she like describes her stab quality. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's some of hammer detail right there, where she's like two pieces, but off center. It'll take a clean split, dead center, to beat it. And Logan just looks down and fuck smiles. <laughs> So. Um, yeah, there were lots of cool things in this issue. It's 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 a very like you know, it starts out as a very Wolverine story, and maybe that's why he took the time travel angle is to kind of give some variety to stuff, right? Because um, you had the whole Dai Kumo um, story and the not the last issue, but the previous three, and um, yeah, but Bambi at the beginning, she is very frightening. And also, I want to be her friend. Like, she seems kind of cool. <laughs> right. Yeah, she's got, like, the studded collar and the, like, um, oh, I don't, I know there's another word besides Judas Priest hat, but I can't think of what it actually is. Um, but, yeah, and then she's got her arm in the swing and drinking a beer, knife already. When they walk in, the knife stuck upright in the table, like, just sitting there. And then, you know, she then she stabs the fly and wiggles a knife and hands it to Wolverine. He's like, where I come from, we play this another way. <laughs> he like pours the sugar on his arm and like stabs his arm to the table. And that was really interesting that he was able to pick the table up with his arm. That was pretty nuts. Yeah, yeah. That was kind of crazy. Because <laughs> like <laughs> the way that art is drawn, you see Wolverine with the knife in the air, you see Wolverine slamming down the knife, and you don't know exactly what he's done. Until the next page, or next panel, rather, where he, you know, the table is cockeyed with his arm holding it up. There's there's some definite arm strength there. But Hama is really great at doing something in a scene that, like, sets up a pin. And then you you may not even know that it's a pin that's being set up. And then he changes scenes and comes back a couple pages later and knocks the pin down. (laughs) He does yeah. that here. He does that with the whole um, in, in in next issue, the boy getting shot thing. Um, right. Just in there, I think maybe one or two others where it's just like in his mind and in the real world situation, this, the scene flows smoothly, but he plays with the drama because he plays with the timing and it's really right. cool. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, I really like how Puck in this scene is like, no, Bambi, dear, finesse is not a quality one associates with Logan. Um, <laughs> the no, he, he is he is definitely the bull in the china shop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I also, you know, we talked about kind of the horror aspect on the cover. I really like the way he and Sylvester play up Death Strike's early scene as kind of like a, a horror scene, mm-hmm. especially like, like the shadow of the finger claws like going across the hood of the car. And the guy, the cop screaming was was really really fun. And um, um, she's skulking into that factory in Japan, 
and we see the vat with the hole blasted through the claws. Yeah. And I, I went back and looked because I wasn't sure. And sure enough, in the, in the last big scene in the Daikomo storyline, yeah. um, Wolverine falls into that vat and like busts his way out. Yeah, so. they had that really cool scene where they fight like in the liquid. Um, mm-hmm. That was the really great pages. Um, so I like <laughs> when Deathstrike's like hacking into the car and she's like, ah, data flow, warm, exciting, pleasurable, almost like, like almost like what, Deathstrike? <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize that she was like an electronics cyborg. Yeah, if, if, if they've done that before in earlier issues, I had just completely forgotten so, because I'm seeing this. I'm like, oh, OK. Right. So I'll, I'll be honest, you know, with as much as I love Claremont, you know, a lot of that spiral stuff they did was pretty vague. And mm-hmm. like what she actually did to people and how much she did to people. And I think, you know. And it's kind of up to other people to clean that up a little bit. So I think Hammer definitely kind of expands it and makes it more concrete. And it's alluded to in the issues of Uncanny, but but Larry Hammer really kind of spells it out. And yeah, gets... I I suspect that Claremont was going to let Nascenti play with that more, and then Nascenti's second long shot series never happened. Uh, yeah, probably so. Probably so. So because uh, Spiral is definitely a Nascenti thing. Um, and she played with that a lot, and maybe not necessarily her concept, but something she did a lot with. Um, but yeah, the uh, you're right. You mentioned where he tur- he casually pins his arm and turns around. Okay, okay, okay. On page, on that same page where she's hacking into the car, she gets the file on Wolverine, <laughs> and his name Logan is listed w. as. Logan yeah, W. Patch. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm dead. That, that's, that's, that's the end of the road there for me, kids. Right. Logan it's, Wolverine Patch, that's his yeah. listed name. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess you can just, you can headcanon it, is that's just what they put on the death certificate for their ruse to get into Japan. But it, it's still pretty funny. Because yeah. uh, that, that actually means that he sat there, you know, three weeks ago in Japan and, and wrote those names down. Right. So, so continuity nitpick, and maybe you can help me kind of get around it. Um, so she's talking about trying to be on, on Wolverine's trail. And so she gets, she's at the scene in Japan and then she finds out about the burial and how the, the casket came from Madripoor. But that's all before he went to Japan. Then he went from Japan to Canada. So is it? Isn't she kind of following the leads backwards, or is you think that's intentional? Um, I guess following the leads backwards makes sense because he's dead. Okay. So, um, instead of following where he maybe to find out where he might have gone, find out where he came from. Okay, cool. Because theoretically, oh. he might be going back to his home or whatever it is. And she doesn't know anything about his comings and goings, but right. you know, theoretically, if, you, if you're trying to find the corpse of a dead man, go to his house. Okay, that makes sense. I, uh, I so he, he finds the, you know Tiger Tiger's information. She finds Tiger Tiger's information and goes to Madripoor. Yeah. Um, I love that scene. I, I think it's really, really adorable that Wolverine sends Tiger postcards. 
<laughs> yes, I don't wish know. you were here. Yeah. <laughs> Patch. I thought that was really cute. <laughs> that is very cute. And she keeps it in her... She has that, like, in her dress. That's a pretty low-cut V-line on the dress. Right. So that, that postcard is, like, not against her boob. It's, like, down against her belly. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, it's interesting. She keeps that with her all the time. Um, Silvestri has drawn uh, um, both Deathstrike and, uh, what's his name? Donald Pierce with his metal bands that Colossus has that he will use so often on Cyberforce. Yes. Yep. Yep. A very, very classic Silvestri design. So it's like um, basically just like, you know, this is metal, by the way, this is metal here. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. I did like the death strike followed a trail. Cause a lot of times in stories, the villain just like pops up in your lap in the story. Right. And to see how she found him, I thought worked really well for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. that she actually has like a mission and a motive and it's not just random, uh, battling um so the only thing i don't like about this story i can't really blame on hammock because he's just following up on uh mantlo's continuity but i really hate the idea of punk as having been like full size and shrunk mm-hmm. i i much prefer him to just be an awesome badass dwarf um but you know. Yeah, yeah, it demonizes dwarfism, and you know, society does that enough on its own without stories doing that as well. Right. Um, so, you know, Puck was is an awesome dwarf character. Yeah. We don't need like evil demons or whatever it was or curses or something to make him have a reason for being short. No, no, I, 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 I usually just kind of forget about that whenever I read his character. It's, so. pre- it's 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 pretty easy to do. Yeah, <laughs> I think only because it had been so relatively recently established that it's even here. Right, that's it, what I'm saying. I don't blame Hammond at all. I think he's just he's using the continuity as it exists. So I mean, he didn't make that decision. But but like if he did this exact same story in 2003, um, he might not have felt the need to refer to that continuity. He could just said right. 1937. Puck was still short. <laughs> oh, there was that story from 10 years. I don't care. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I also love the uh, the classic genie trope where you get you get trapped by your own uh, wording. Where she's like, "Send me where Wolverine's gaze is," and he's looking at the postcard. So Gateway sends her to the scene he was looking at in the photo, as opposed mm-hmm. to where he actually is. Um, so I, I kind of love that. Uh, I call it the, the the literal genie trope. So, Mike, I have two questions about this. Mm-hmm. One, how is Puck an adult 55 years earlier? You know, that's interesting. Um, okay, let me remember. I'm trying to remember from the Alpha Flight stories if his curse... Was like, prolonged life as well? Prolonged life, because uh, I think it may have been, but I can't remember for sure. Um, and I think there also may have been a time where he was like trapped and not like out in the world. Um, but I'm not sure about that either. Now I feel really bad because I really like Puck, so I should know more about his his history. Um, I don't remember though. 
Well, well my listeners, my other, let us know. Yes. Know that, know know my other question is, is this... Right, yeah. Is this the earliest established point in time that we've seen Wolverine alive? Uh, I know we saw him in World War II. Yes, so we knew he would have been alive because he was an adult in World War II. But backing up a few years, yes, so far... 1937 is, is the earliest. Yeah, yep, Okay. so far. Yeah. Um, I like that Hama is creeping that back. Yeah, I do too. I do too. Um. We don't, I mean, we've had, I think there was that one story that I sort of hinted at him having like a Native American life or something. Uh, Maybe that might be later in the series. There's a one-off issue um, that implies it to be a Wolverine story, but isn't exactly a Wolverine story. Right, where he's telling the story to the kid. Um, Yeah. You're not sure whether he's telling a memory or just kind of making it up. Mm -hmm. So you don't don't really know. Um, So I guess, depending on how you read that, that would be the oldest occurrence. But it really just depends on your interpretation of, of what he's telling us there. Now, this whole like time traveling back to like be the person you were at the time rather than physically being there, that's that's sort of an older time travel trope that I thought Back to the Future did away with. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, mean, I realize. Yeah. And they even reference Back to the Future in this story, which right. is funny. So you think they'd play by the same rules, but yeah, because it's very much a Marty McFly photograph that Puck pulls out there at the beginning. Yes, yeah, and then uh, not to spoil it, but again at the end when it changes, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Can I tell you how much Lily hates that trope? And have oh, you seen really? Have you seen Krypton? No, I haven't yet. I haven't okay, yet. so it's the first episode that this happens in. So it's not a spoiler for the series, but you know it's first episode. Um, there's a certain character who has come back in time to try to save the future that so, so that Superman will exist. That's the basic premise of the show. Okay. And he brings a he brings Superman's cape back with him. And Superman's cape has glowy tatters on the bottom that are slowly creeping up the cape, you know. So it's wow. very much the Marty McFly disappearing thing. If that cape disappears, history is reversed and Superman will not exist. Oh wow. Okay. So, and Lily saw that. She's like, I hate that <laughs> so much because it's Back to the Future. And yeah, the guy in the commentary is like, yeah, we want to just do a little nod to Back to the Future since we're doing time travel here. So <laughs> That's funny. Um, but yeah, we are in the Spanish Civil War, which for those who don't know their history, um, the Spanish Civil War was in the several years before the Second World War broke out. Mm-hmm. And... Um, uh, the national leader who won, Generalissimo Franco, uh, became a dictator in Spain for decades. And he uh, he was an ally with Hitler during the war. He did not, I don't think that Spain, I'm not sure how much Spain participated in the war, but right. they definitely did not help the allies. No, yeah. They were more of a, almost a silent partner to the Axis in a lot of ways, I think. Um, he was a totalitarian dictator in Spain up until the 1970s. Yep. This is the civil war that led so to... So Ernest Hemingway... Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and Hemingway, of course, was a real-life uh, war correspondent at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that tracks. Um, I meant to Google, is Inez a real person? I don't think Inez ever gets a last name. 
Okay. I can't remember. In fact, I'll Google it right now. I don't know if he... I know he had lots of different lovers, so... <laughs> but I don't know if, if Inez is a specific reference. Let's see. Huh. No. It's a name he uses in stories. Okay. He, he's used it in at least a couple different stories. Yeah, um, all right, here we go. Yeah, some of his novels. Okay, cool. And the fourth listing, if you search Ernest Hemingway Ines, the fir- fourth listing is Ines, Ernest Hemingway Ally, Reading Order, Complete Marvel Right. <laughs> you can get all her appearances. I guess all three of her appearances. <laughs> yep, there are three. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. So, yeah, so, uh, and just interesting that, you know, Wolverine takes his beer, they're hanging out with Hemingway, you know, all the action starts taking place. Uh, Larry Hammond drops some culture on us, talks about Picasso and some other artists and writers. Kind of kind of that the trope of look how much I know about stuff that Hammond likes to do sometimes. Um, <laughs> but I really enjoyed it, though. It's not, not, not a bad thing. Just thought it was funny. Um, and then... I don't really have anything else until the letters page. I mean, just lots of good action, lots of good art. Um, yeah, the specific? standard soldiers rolling up on um, Death Strike just sort of as a little zinger at the end to say what she's doing during all this. Uh huh. But yeah, I don't have anything else for it either. All right. So, uh, you know, one, we'll we'll do full credits or full plugs, uh, you know, a little bit later in the episode. But you know, one of the podcasts that John's alluded to that he does is all the pouches and nineties image podcast. And um, I don't know if, if the copy you were looking at had the letters page, they have an editor's note where they apologize to Mark Silvestri for misspelling his name twice in the credits of the previous issue. And oh. in my head canon, that is the first domino on the way to image comics. <laughs> <laughs> you can't get my damn name right. Right? I'm taking my pencils elsewhere. <laughs> awesome. Well, so really love the art, really love the story. Um, do you want to grade these individually or did you give them all the same kind of? Yeah, this is all one lump sum story to me. All so. right, cool. Yeah. So we'll just, we can save it for the end then. All right, so we're at 36. Yeah, 36. 36, Blood and Claws Part 2. It tolls for thee. Uh, Same, um, almost all the same uh, credits, not quite all the same. Larry Hama is, of course, still scripting. Mark Silvestri is still penciling. Damn, yellow, I mean, green (laughs) is inking. Uh, Pat Brusso is lettering. This time, Mark Chiarello is coloring. And Bob Harris is editoring, and Tom DeFalco is editoring and chiefing. Um, okay, so the cover, which is different <laughs> this time, let's see. The credits are I think it's Mark Silvestri and Joseph Rubenstein. Yeah. Yep. Which you know, an inker can do a lot to change a person's style. Um, it's a profile shot of Wolverine standing on a hilltop shooting a big old, I would say 90s gun, but this is 37 Spanish. Uh, it's funny you say that. <laughs> yeah. It's as 90s as the 30s got. Right. Well, so so my note on this cover was, I know this is set in the past, 
when there's nothing more 90s than Wolverine with a shredded costume, smoking a cigar, and shooting a big-ass machine gun. <laughs> right? And there's fire and smoke and everything in the background, and it's pretty great. Um, there's not really much in the way of coloring that is different between the original and the... Um, okay. uh, except that the gun, instead of being orange, is uh, green. Oh, it's, it's greenish on the regular cover as well. Okay, the skin I'm looking at has uh, an orange hint. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. So, you know, we open up with a big car chase. Um, All of our friends, Wolverine, Ines, um, Puck, and Hemingway are in a Jeep trying to get away from the Spanish military because, you know, there's a war on. Um. Wolverine at one point jumps out of the car and grabs some tools and goes back and starts beating up soldiers and kind of chopping them to pieces. Um, they eventually, our, our friends eventually get away. They crash the car and Wolverine catches up to them. Um, on the other side of Guernica, the soldiers and Capitan who uh, found Deathstrike have strung her up from a telephone pole and hanged her. Um, and she stops twitching pretty quickly. They're like, okay, well, that was a disappointing show, but I guess she's dead. So they start <laughs> to walk away, and one guy's like, Hauptmann, the girl, she's not dead. And Deathstrike's just like chilling out there. Ropes hanging around, tied around her neck, and she's like got this wicked, evil smile. She looks up and turns her neck into like a steel-laced balloon. It just like <laughs> pops out. And bursts all the cores. Like, think of a frog going... Oh, yeah. Good analogy. Yeah. Yeah. Only with, like, power. Because that's just a little, like, you know, membrane. Um, So she lands on the ground. And there are crows flying around. Because they were getting ready to eat her flesh. One of them has landed (laughs) on her arm. And she, like, squeezes it to death. As she announces herself as Deathstrike. Um, She's not actually called Lady Deathstrike anywhere in the story. Like oh, the, true. At least, I didn't think um, about that. Yeah, copy refers to her as that. Covers refer to her as that. But she refers to herself as Deathstrike, which I kind of dig. Yeah. Um, back in Australia, in the present, there's a tornado. And there are bird feathers coming out of the tornado. And Donald Pierce, in his infinite plot exposition wisdom... <laughs> realizes that this tornado is actually the space-time continuum starting to unravel and have little twists and turns. And if and therefore, that means that Deathstrike must have gone back in time. And if she does anything such as, you know, kill Donald Pierce's father or, you know, sleep with, you know, Sebastian Shaw or something, it could change <laughs> the entire future and unravel all of reality. So let's hope she don't do that. Um, back in the past, in Spain... Uh, the our friends have met up with a partisan camp, some of the um, you know militia guerrilla fighters who are trying to stand against the military. Um, there are several people there, including a prisoner they have recently taken, a boy. Um, they normally kill prisoners, but no one wants to kill the boy because he's a cute boy. And one oh, guy's nice. like, uh, "You want him shot? You gotta do it yourself. I already know his name, the names of his seven sisters. I'm not killing him." <laughs> Um, and Guernica, Deathstrike is making friends with the uh, the military, and she realizes 
that if they find her father, who is a pilot during this time period, then she can change his history. He, she can give him the adamantium that Wolverine has now. He'll never be in the plane flight that uh, he crashes and, and mutilates himself, and it will never lead to her being cyborg and disfigured and turned into Deathstrike. So she's trying to change the timeline for her betterment. Um, then there's shenanigans. Uh, there's a plane that goes and uh, attacks the partisan camp, dropping bombs. That, so they have to get out of there. Puck gets really badly injured. So they put him on a Travoice and uh, take him out. Um, the little boy, they don't want to travel with him because he's a boy. But they also can't leave him behind because he'll starve and die. So they decide he has to die. And the person who says he should be shot volunteers to shoot him. One of the other guys is like, okay, you know what? You're a lousy aim. I'll shoot him. Y'all go on ahead. They've let the boy escape thinking he's free and they're going to shoot him in the back. So the guy shoots a rifle while Wolverine is telling everybody else this is the way it has to be. Um, change scene again to Deathstrike working with the um, the soldiers. Uh, they find the boy. He had gotten away. He was not shot. He was not killed. And he's like, I can't tell you anything about the people. I swore on my mother's uh, soul. I swore on the Lady Virgin. I wouldn't tell anything about them. And that strikes, well, you know what? You can either tell me or you can feel my wrath. So uh, Wolverine uh, explains to his friends that, you know, letting him, letting the boy go was probably smart. They think that, you know, he's, he's a good, honest boy. He won't tell anything. And Wolverine's like, you know what, though? Death strikes evil. She'll make him talk. They'll know where we are, so we gotta hurry. Uh, Wolverine gets the big old gun and decides to um, hold off the pass while everyone else goes ahead. He uh, disrobes down to his costume, pops his <laughs> claws. The gun doesn't even work because we don't even get the front the front cover <laughs> scene because the uh, gun has like a, a bent pin or something. So instead right. of shooting bullets at these guys, he shoots Wolverine at them. Yeah, and, uh, jumps into into the battle, starts clawing people up. Death strikes, hops off the tank, and is going to come forward to Wolverine herself. Let us rip and tear and smash and mangle for honor's sake and other meaningless causes. And it's to be continued. Yeah. So um. When Wolverine hops out of the car and grabs the hammer and the wrench, we present to you Tolverine. This was fun. I appreciate the invite. Um, I've got to go. <laughs> uh, I cannot help myself. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Okay, so uh, I have some interesting continuity discussions to have with you. Okay. Okay. Now, he grabs those tools and tears into the soldiers, but doesn't pop his claws. Mm-hmm. And you know, and I know, that at least ostensibly, the reason that at this point he doesn't pop his claws is because at this point the development of the character, the idea was that he didn't have claws until Weapon X happened. But then later in the story, he's like, they must have done something weird in the time trench up to because I still have my physical body, even though Puck has his old body and I've got my claws. So I'm going to use them. Um, but, you know, and I know also that with all the retcons, he totally has his claws in 1937. Right. Yeah. They were bone claws. Um, but 
that's the weird part about the story is because even before we get the reveal of the claws, because even before he picks up the tools, he tells Puck, you know, why don't you let me do this? I got my healing factor. And Puck's like, you sure about that? And he goes, yeah, I feel it in my bones. Um, so it's obvious that, well, I mean, I guess he would have had his healing factor regardless, so I guess that doesn't really matter. Um, yeah, it's interesting because they, they play it up like he's grabbing his tools like he's back in the past, too, and doesn't have his claws, but then... You know, the chips are down. He pulls out his costume and his claws. So he obviously came back as present-day Wolverine, where Puck went in to his old body. You know, Wolverine did not. That's kind of an odd story choice, and they don't really even bother trying to explain it. Yeah, they don't, Um, except it, it does help inform why there's a memory difference at the end. Yes, yeah. Whatever it is that caused it to be different in the time travel could also be why they'd remember things differently at the end. Right, because Puck went back to live where like his actual memories and Wolverine, this is the first time he's actually there. Um, so maybe that's the difference in why he has current body because there's no previous body to jump into. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that's probably the best way to try to read it. Um, there were some things said, I think, in the previous issue about how Gateway can teleport however he wants, that he, like, controls that. So maybe he silently decided to make the plot work this way. That, like, you know <laughs> what, I'm going to send Wolverine back as Wolverine to help things out. Right, um, even, Yeah, so that's that's possible. And he's um, been reluctantly helping the Reavers anyway. Like, he prefers the X-Men. So it, it could have been to kind of stack the deck in Wolverine's favor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my my thought process, and I guess it kind of works out this way anyway, is that you sort of get both Wolverines. Right, you get, yeah. You get the 1937 <laughs> no-claws Wolverine, but you also get the, you know, ninja blade killer, you know, modern yeah. Wolverine at yeah. the end. You get you get Toolverine and Wolverine in the same issue. <laughs> you did it again. <laughs> oh, my God. So, um... Just, just a little art note. I really, really love the simplest, the simple macabre of the scene of Deathstrike hanging from the telephone pole. Yes. Like, if you take the words, that, like the word balloon off of that panel, it's a great, like, really just artistic, stark, you know, just creepy image, and it really works. Yeah, that whole panel just remove all the lettering, and, you know, it's, it's dark and sinister and sad right um, you don't even know why she's been killed but the the military has just hanged a person then you turn the page and oh my god um <laughs> but i'll tell you i'm gonna raise i'm gonna see your tolverine i'm gonna raise you with that's really sticking her neck out isn't it <laughs> there you go <laughs> <laughs> you know i i do like um now, you mentioned, you know, her wanting to change her timeline for the better. I also like the idea of her trying to change her father's past versus just simply avenging him. Right. Like, so she's her, trying to actually make a better life story for him. Right, right. Though her plan would technically do both. Because she's, by killing Wolverine, she's still avenging his murder in the future, but then giving him a better past all at the same time. So, in a way, if she were to have succeeded... 
she would have really got to have her cake and eat it too because she she would she would have had it all right. Now she becomes like elegantly poetic. Right. Yeah. So um, yeah, and then uh, so there's um, there's a scene with the boy with mm-hmm. um, I don't remember what page number I'm on. These aren't really numbered, but they have the boy. They you know the, I don't really know why they can't just take him along because it's just one more person to go through the past. I feel like that that's an option. Right. But they're like, no, we can't do that. We can't take him with us, and we can't leave him here, so we're going to kill him. And they really do make you believe that they've killed him, especially down to the look in Wolverine's eyes right. and his verbal justification of the act as the gun goes off. Right, and it kind of makes you like, because as a reader, you're kind of like on Hemingway's side, right? Or, or no, I guess Inez's side. Like, no, Wolverine's not going to let them kill a boy. He's going to go like, Make that shotgun a sawed-off shotgun <laughs> with, with his claws, right? And so you're kind of surprised as a reader that that he's like, "Well, sorry, kid." <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, it's a really interesting kind of turn. I I did, you know, a modern a modern story would have maybe played a little bit different when Deathstrike meets a boy, where he's like. I, I swore, lady. I swore. And Deathstrike pops her claws and says, Swear to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she is so scary. Oh, my God. She is. Yeah. Yeah. I also really, you know, I think we've talked about before when you've been on, and I know I, I mentioned some of my X-Men comics as well. You know, I, I forgot, you know, how funny Sylvester can be sometimes. I really love, like, after the plane blows up, like, the fiery, like, air, airman's cap that, like, falls on the tank while the guy's smoking. I don't know. There's something about that that just really, really tickled my fancy. <laughs> and, uh, and I don't have a whole lot else. I mean, the stuff at the end, um, <laughs> you're expecting the cover. Um, and right. Wolverine you know, has the gun, it's ready to go. You turn the page, though, and it's just like, oh, the pin's broken. Hit a bum casing, let that burst at the end, and I let rip that, whatever. And so he can't even fire the gun, so he takes off his shirt, and he has his Wolverine costume underneath. He just has to go to Wolverine town on them. Um, It's pretty great. But I just love how deliciously cynical Deathstrike is at the end. Like, her line there is so dry. Come right. forth and test your claws against mine. Let us rip and tear and smash and mangle for honor's sake and other meaningless causes. <laughs> Such a great line. Yeah, it is. And I really, the page before that, when Wolverine kind of comes out of the smoke, is oh. a great freaking panel. It's so good. Yeah. Um, and I also really like, you know, one of the things that Hammond does really well is is find the right times and ways to use the catchphrase because Wolverine's like you know I don't need to figure it out too much as long as I got my near indestructible adamantium lace skeleton and my razor sharp adamantium claws and it sure don't hurt to be the best at what I do you know and it's kind of the little the little tweaks on the catchphrase is something that Hama will will be really really fun with so I, I always enjoy that mm-hmm. definitely 
I uh, when I was reading through this series early on, I was trying to watch for instances of that catchphrase. And since he stops using it at the beginning pretty quickly, Claremont drops it from the beginning pretty quickly, um, and they just kind of sneak it into other parts of the issue, it became less easy to spot. Right. Um, I feel like I feel like it's one of those things that doesn't get said nearly as often as everybody associates it. <laughs> right. And of course, I mean, if you're in comics in 1980s. They hand you a copy of the Claremont Miller Wolverine miniseries when you come in to the door. And so everybody read that. And that's where, of course, it got really, really established at the beginning of every issue. I'm Wolverine and the best there is of what I do. Right. And what I do isn't very nice. Yep. But, but once it gets to those actual ongoing series, it's just not quite used as often. Yeah, and, you know, probably for the better. You don't want to... Probably for the better. You don't want to overuse it. He's not Arnold Schwarzenegger, so... <laughs> <laughs> All right, are you ready to move on to the conclusion? Can we pause for 30 seconds? Yeah, you may. I'm just going to grab a root beer because my, my coffee ran out. Oh, okay. Right back. What's your, what's your root beer flavor? What, what brand do you like? Um, I like a lot of them. My wife got mug because it was no caffeine. We had some Mormon friends over. Oh, okay. Um, but, uh, I usually do A and W if it's there. Um, Barks is really my favorite. Okay, cool. Barks got bite. That's, uh, apropos for a Wolverine podcast. <laughs> <laughs> his root beer is worse than his bite. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, number 37 is the blood and claws conclusion. Um, we are back to the same credits as issue 35. Gwyneth Oliver is back on the colors. Um, and Dan Green is back to inking the cover. And an interesting cover. It's it's pretty good. It's way more... It's going to be weird saying this about Sylvester. He's a fairly stylized artist. But this is like even more stylized mm-hmm. than Sylvester usually is. Especially like with... Uh, Wolverine's, Wolverine's face. face and the way his left arm doesn't quite work. <laughs> and <laughs> and the shadow on Death Strike makes her look really wide, like almost almost cable-esque with her shoulders and her waist. Um it's, it's interesting. It's a good cover. It's just different for him. Um I mean the action is cool. It's, it's we're looking from behind Death Strike. She's of course has her her finger and claws out, and Wolverine's jumping at her with his claws out, and they're both ripped to shreds. Um, you know, like Death Strike sleeves look really cool. Um, all right, what do you think of this cover? Um, I agree with your points about the style. Um, Wolverine is definitely, you know, stylized, moved away from the realism into more of the the the, the cartoonish look. Um, interestingly, this is the cover that they chose for the Wolverine by Larry Hama and Mark Silvestri volume one. Um, cause they, I don't know if you know that, but that, that this run is collected into a series of, of trades and they're available digitally through comiXology. So that's how I'm reading it. Um, so that is the cover. The title page is another image of Deathstrike leaping at Wolverine, but I'm not entirely sure where that's from. It looks like it might be from one of the interior pages, and I just haven't pinned it down. But yeah, the 37 cover is the cover of the book. Interesting. Okay. Well, there you go. All right. So, Spain, 1937. 
I thought you were going to say Space the Final Frontier. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So, uh, Spain, 1937. Wolverine slices through some fascists before catching Lady Deathstrike's scent. The fight we've been waiting for. But the time tornado is getting bigger. Puck wakes up and runs towards the carnage, recognizing that the time vortex may take them home. <laughs> so he's going to run on in there and find out. Um, meanwhile, in present day Outback, Pierce is working on some secret androids. Uh, Wolverine and Lady Deathstrike battle through time, making pivotal pit stops in Deathstrike's history. Once home, Wolverine climbs out of the Vancouver water where Puck says he literally had just fallen in. He picks up his photo of Hemingway where Logan is now in the picture. Deathstrike is returned to Australia where Pierce reveals his android Wolverine who's really just the bait because the real danger is the cute but deadly LCD. And Oh, LCD! Oh my... Oh my god. I, oh my god. My whole life I've never put that together. <laughs> Same here, although it's been a lot shorter life for me. <laughs> but this sets up one of my most memorable parts of this run before we get into the memory shenanigans. Like right. LCD yeah. and the and, and the and the Logan robot are like a really memorable part of this run. Yeah. I'm really curious to see what I think about it this time. Because I remember as a too cool for school kid that LCD's uh, verbiage got on my nerves sometimes. But I have a feeling it's going to endear itself mm-hmm. more to me this time around. So we shall see. But I'm, I'm really Similar hoping. similar thoughts for me. I, at first I was like, really? Then I was like, oh, but I kind of love them now. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of really cool fighting in this issue. Um what else you got besides the cool fight? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you're kind of like me. There's there's not a whole lot to comment on. Um, for what it's worth, as we're going through, I did see that the um, the big uh, splash page, it's like the sixth or seventh page of the comic, where she's jumping at him and says, Tis Death Strike, and he says, Yuriko, that is the art from the oh. cover, cover page. Oh, of, that's such uh, a good page. Yeah, yeah. It's so, weird that Deathstrike's nails are painted in that picture, but... <laughs> um, yeah, it definitely is. I was just wondering if maybe she had just recently stabbed somebody, but no, there's not any indication of that. That is weird that they're just red, because they're not red anywhere else right. in the entire comic. Yeah. Um, um, oh, she was... oh, go ahead, go ahead. When she loses her arm, does she start regenerating it, or is it just severed the whole time? I think she is able to kind of put it back together, right? Well, it looks like it gets a little bit longer as time goes on. It never fully regenerates, but it just looks like it gets longer. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. So, because the part where after she gets run over, I'm trying to actually flip through the pages real fast. I'm not sure that she does. No, it doesn't. Okay. So... So I'm guessing that Pierce will help her fix it, you know, once they can get back home. Right, right. Not nowhere in this issue did she get her left hand back, or sorry, right hand back. Got to get her right hand man back. 
Gonna get her yeah. right hand man back. <laughs> hey, I meant to ask you, do you think she killed the kid in issue thirty six? No, I think she tortured him into giving away where they were. Okay. Uh, I don't think she killed him. I mean, I wouldn't put her past her to kill him. Right. She didn't have to, she didn't have to kill him. Right. And she, she strikes me as the type who has no compunctions, but also doesn't just, you know, just kill for fun. Right, right. Not not the saber tooth. Right. Um, just just nasty for nastiness sake. Um so I do have a question for you. So is calling something by its proper name a code word? <laughs> Where are you talking about? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. The uh, on the map, on the map, the, the, the peak is actually called Eroica, or however you pronounce that in Spanish. Eroica. Eroica. And he says, tell them we are at the pass, codenamed Eroica. <laughs> like, right. well, it's not codenamed, that's just named. <laughs> okay, can I tangent for a second? Yeah. You know the 1966 Marvel superheroes show? The yes. cartoon that uses all the comic art? Mm-hmm. So I was listening to the theme song of that show. Um, not the individual heroes theme song, but like the overall theme song that isn't played as much. But um, there's a lot and a lot and a lot of rhyming in that song. And they call um, Namor the astonishingly erotic and aquatic superhero. And I'm just like, really? <laughs> well, I mean, he did run around in fish scale undies. So. He did. He did. But Eroica reminds me of the erotic uh, <laughs> Namor. Uh, yeah, I got to say, I think it fits. I think it fits, Namor. Okay. If you've got it, flaunt it, right, Namor? <laughs> right. <laughs> got that swimmer's body. Um, yeah. Uh, a whole. I mean, don't get me wrong. The fighting's really cool. And it's great art. Um, right really, the, the, the coolest stuff in this is the teasing for LCD's story. Now, uh-huh. I, can't even, I can't even say LCD. It's LCD. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the stuff with the slow time travel back to the present. Right. Most yeah. significantly is whenever they appear in uh, Spiral's lab, where she's making the Reavers, and Deathstrike is in the science juice tube. Um, and then they're both in there for a second fighting, and they actually break out. But then they keep <laughs> on going, and it's just back to, you know, you see a shot of Deathstrike's malformed body there. It's just, it's cool little sequence. Yeah, it is. It's really nice. And I like, I'm assuming this is on purpose. If you look at the, so there's that page where Punk, I keep saying Punk, uh, where Puck shrinks. And then the bottom mm-hmm. of that page, I feel like Silvestri is channeling uh, his Barry Windsor Smith on those bottom two panels, yeah. who, of course, drew those issues. Um, so I thought that was a really cool little nod. That is definitely cool. I need to go back and read those. Yeah. <laughs> oh, also seeing um, little Katie Power. Yeah. Because who can forget the issue where Wolverine and Katie Power teamed up, <laughs> right? Against the friggin' Reavers. Right. <laughs> it's a great issue. Um. Yeah, and then uh, the idea of, of Wolverine coming out of the water. So it's interesting. I guess that's more kind of the time travel. I guess disconnect 
is because when Puck was in the past, he knew he was present Puck in a past body because he knew of the present. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But when they get back to the present, present Puck has no recollection of the past or that they went and had time shenanigans because he gets out of the water and Wolverine's like, what? Where are we? We're back. He's like, back. We just fell in the water like two seconds ago. What are you talking about? Um, so that was an, another interesting kind of choice to kind of money up and what exactly is going on with the time travel. And I don't know if, if Ham is being kind of a, in, intentionally obtuse or if he's just trying, I don't know, like if he just didn't really want to figure it out or didn't want us to know, but it's a really interesting kind of. Well, it's an interesting different. strategy because if you don't explain anything, then the reader can just say, oh, well, it just happened because that's how it happened. Right. If you try to give rules that it's following, then you have to get like a whole lot of explanation that someone can poke <laughs> holes in. Right. Because so, without the explanations, here I am drawing some parallels. Like earlier, either this issue or the previous issue, Donald Pierce, somebody was reading him a report. He snatched out the guy's hand. And when he read it, it had changed uh -huh. because time re had rewritten just in those few seconds. So similarly, Puck is saying that Wolverine wasn't there. And then he picks up the picture, Wolverine's there, and he says, I'm just fine. So it's, you could read it both ways, but the implication is when he sees Wolverine there, it now feels natural for him to be there. Oh, Okay. I thought you just kind of playing off like I'm not going to tell you that I'm crazy. Um, <laughs> like I said, you could read it both ways. So yeah, I, no, I, I like I, could... I like your way though. I like it that he's like, oh, okay, now this makes sense. That's interesting. That's an interesting take. Um, I had for some reason when I was reading this thought that Logan had been there, just hadn't been in the photo. Um, I don't know where Logan was supposed to have been in 1937. Uh, to have not been in Spain, but been somewhere else. I guess if he's in the United States or Canadian military during World War II, he's probably off doing that and not being in Spain. I would guess so, yeah. Probably training in the Canadian Army because he does go to Europe as a Canadian soldier in the the story before this. So Okay, so so that means that Puck went back to be himself in 1937. Oh, why is he in Canada? Logan went back to be a to to. I, I'm thinking that there are two Logans in 1937. Right. And if we yeah. could just if we could just pull back the camera and see the entire world, we would see two Logans in that world, but only one Puck. I I think you have to be right. <laughs> so I think it's the only way it really works. Um. So is I, that brings up a good question for me. I guess I always just assumed because he was an Alpha flight. And the Puck was a Canadian native. Does he have a different kind of background? Um, well, Ernest Hemingway is not Spanish. No, he's not. He's over there just doing his thing. So I, I guess Puck, Puck. I guess I think Puck is very Canadian. He just is in Spain today. Okay, he's just he's he's always been kind of a world traveler, um, very cultured man. So it makes sense. He's just, hey, I'm going to go bullfight for the summer. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so. you get the implication that Puck and Logan knew each other back then, that Puck knew Logan was not there. But, you know, that it kind of implies that he knew Logan at the time. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely could be. So, lots of interest. Yeah, it's funny because it's a good story. Or actually, it's a it's a pretty good story. Um, and it's a lot of fun. And also, as much as it answers, I think it leaves a lot of questions kind of up in the air too. I'd be curious to see what, if anything, Hammond does with some of the kind of open endedness of the story. You know. Does he does he go back and talk about you know next time Puck shows up is there more history there? Um, so I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. You probably know the answer to that because you're a lot farther ahead than I am. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> I could <can> tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's interesting. So what? Any other any other thoughts? No, this does wrap up the first um, volume of the oh. Hama Silvestri collection. Um, the Jungle Adventure and Bloodlust Annual are also in this collection, which are uh, not Hama and Sylvester. No. So I'm not entirely sure why they're here, but <laughs> they are. <laughs> All right. Um, so I'll be downloading the um, the second volume from Comixology to keep on reading along with the show. There cool. is a cover of... Um, Wolverine wrestling with Sabretooth in a sewer while Cable is perched up on a sewer pipe oh. with his eye about to shoot them. So That's the cover to like uh, 42 or something like that. I just put myself on the spot for no reason. There was no reason for me to... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, mid, mid-40s, I'm pretty sure. So, um, that's a cool cover. Um, all right. Well, what do you think of the uh, the art overall in this this arc? So I feel like the art is an interesting balance between weird style choices, but amazing layout and storytelling choices. So, um, you know, in my rating, the art is not going to affect the rating either way. I really enjoyed it. There are a few places where it looks odd, but so many places where it's just so dang effective at conveying emotion, at conveying action. Um, and uh, like I said, Deathstrike is horrific and mm-hmm. scary as anything throughout the story. <laughs> yeah. uh, I want to know the woman at the beginning, Bambi. I do not want to know Deathstrike. Um, (laughs) they're both kind of scary but I want to know Bambi I want to be her friend I do not want to be Deathstrike's friend right right (laughs) Um, and so you know it's it's pretty successful there's a reason that Silvestri is so well loved in this era there's a reason that he is one of the you know highly lauded artists who ended up going over to Image Um, and his stuff in Cyberforce is not nearly as stylized it's it's a bit more, you know, superhero stuff. Right. Not quite as much sketchy weirdness. No, it gets a lot, I don't know if tighter is the right word, but it probably is, is close to the right word. Um, definitely feel like he, he doesn't go as fast, you know, for better or for worse, but definitely mm-hmm. um, puts a lot more detail and... and clean lines in his image stuff and and that is post image stuff is kind of the same way so it kind of becomes his style going forward it hasn't really changed a lot since uh mid 90s um and i wonder if some of that is like i said the earlier with the cover talk is the inker 
I mean, Dan Green has inked a lot of different people, so it's definitely not his sketchiness that's in the inking. But on that 36 cover, Joseph Rubenstein's inking, and there's not a hint of sketchiness True. to that to that cover. Yeah. So I don't I don't know what what if it's a combination of the two or what. Yeah, could be, could be. Um, but yeah, no, I I agree with you. I mean, it's not perfect art, but I love it quite a bit. I, I think it, you know, a couple of weird random things aside is is really good. And I think you know the words you said was really spot on. It's very effective. It really helps tell the story, um, really pulls you into the story. Um, so, and I think it's highly successful in that regard. Um, so, what do you think of the of the story overall? Um, I think its only flaw is the lack of mechanics that we were just now talking about, as far as like why the story works the way it does and how it works out. The, the the fact that there is not any explanation is kind of a strike against it. Um, it's a weird choice to send them into Civil War Spain. Like, <laughs> that was just kind of odd. And then to pull them back out of Civil War Spain in a way that is not really that explained. Why did they go more slowly? I don't know. They just did um why did wolverine get sent back as a person and puck got sent back to be his past self um and deathstrike also gets sent back as a person you know there's a lot of stuff there that we can come up with answers to but i feel like the story doesn't tell us the story doesn't tell us and there are some inconsistencies that you have to find yourself explaining away and i don't feel like I don't feel like it's David Lynch where there's like subtle explanations that you can piece together pieces to. It's just, there are no explanations. So you're just right. Kind of, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but overall I did enjoy the story as it was. I thought we got a lot of really cool stuff out of it. Death strike did a lot of really neat, you know, evil stuff. Um, this, the, the time travel, the third issue, seeing her scenes on um, the setup for LCD, uh, Wolverine getting along with everybody and you know doing his Wolverine and costume <laughs> antics. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to go ahead and give this whole thing five out of six time travel tornadoes because right. uh, I really enjoyed it. And the only mark against it is just the the lack of exposition of the mechanics of the story. Yeah, I am. I'm right there with you, and for the same reasons. Um, you know, as cool as it was to see kind of uh death strikes history in a few scenes it doesn't really make sense that that's why how they would get home um so you know little stuff like that um but then you know also enjoy you know kind of the the, the pierce subplot uh, so i think overall you know i mean the civil war spain thing seems random and it seems like Hama's like huh where can I put, you know, I've always wanted to, to talk about the Spanish Civil War. Let's, let's do one there. <laughs> and maybe that's and, exactly what, maybe he had recently done some reading. And was just yeah, like, I want to play with this. Or maybe he just, I mean, Hemingway wrote a lot of really, really great books. Maybe he just wanted to talk about Hemingway. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. But, I mean, so there's definitely kind of some random elements. But all, all in all, it works for me. Um so I'm right there, five out of six claws for these as well. Um, definitely really enjoyable. Um, that was cool that you know you, you, someone had just tweeted about it and you were were talking about it and you know, I think the guy was saying it was like one of his favorite Wolverine stories. Um, so 
So I'm glad that, that we, you know, were able to enjoy it at least almost as much. Yes. And there's good stuff to come. Yeah, it is. It's going to be a little bit before we get there because if I stick with the reading order, um, got a lot of uncanny to get through first. And then um, oh, Weapon X coming up for our anniversary show uh, before we get back to the solo series. So, What's your next uncanny issue? Uh, the next uncanny issue will be the Extinction Agenda Aftermath. I think that's uh, 273, I think. Okay, okay. Yeah, yep. And then, uh, then the return of Professor X after that. And then, um, let's see, I actually have a little, let me pull up my little note. I can give you exactly the next several. Oh, then you get into the stuff with the Shi'ar. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. And then, uh, the, the, the backup story of Kings of Pain, then the Muir Island saga, and then Weapon X. So, it's, it's coming up. All right. Good, good, good stuff. And I'm I'm hoping if I can get all my cards in a row to do something pretty big for Weapon X involving multiple people. So hopefully all that'll work out. But if not, then you know it'll still be fun either way. Yeah. But so John Wilson, where where are some other places people can find you? Your uh your podcasting voice is a national treasure. So how can we? Get more? <laughs> well, um. You know, Mark Silvestri is the artist here, and of course he goes directly from his Wolverine run <laughs> to Image Comics. And I am podcasting every month about the early years of Image Comics over at All the Pouches and Image Comics Podcast, which you can find on Twitter at All the Pouches or on your podcatcher of choice. Um, I also talk every week about Marvel Comics from the 60s with my good friend Michael Kaiser. That is Make Ours Marvel on Twitter at Make Ours Marvel. Um my son and I do a commentary podcast where we are talking over the early episodes of the the Japanese superhero show that eventually became the Power Rangers. Goes back to the 1970s, and the first season of that Go Ranger is our is our uh, TV show that we are commenting on as we go through it. So that's been fun with him. Uh, 1970s Japanese spy superheroes. Uh, what else? What else? I am currently cooking a Transformers <laughs> UK podcast. So the UK comics and the US comics and the cartoons are all going to be my uh, topic at the TF UK podcast that does not have a name yet. It might just end up being the Transformers UK podcast. I don't know. I had a name, but it doesn't really roll off the tongue very well. So I, I decided to drop uh. it. Um, <laughs> But that's on Twitter at TFUK Podcast if you want to go ahead and follow that. And I'm just on Twitter being me at John Reads Comics. Yeah. Lots of fun oh. stuff on there as well. And also Scarlet Witch. I tweet about Scarlet Witch at Let's Talk Wanda. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm in, a, in my 70s read through some really interesting Scarlet Witch stuff going on where her and Vision are finally starting to uh, give voice to their passions. Um, it's been, been a really fun little run. Um, I let, me, let me know when you get to the scene where Quicksilver finds out about those two. I just read it tonight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where that's pretty great. Like, Are you really in love with an android as a mutant? I, I think it's funny that, that he really specifies like you're just a mutant, or you know we're mutants. Mutants can't love. Like every time they talk about it, is how can a mutant and an android love each other? Like there's something 
weird about them both. You know, instead of identifying like, hey, we're both kind of outcasts, maybe we can use that to bond. It's almost like they're they're both two outcasts for each other. It's, it's an interesting kind of kind of thing Roy Thomas does when he talks about it. But um, yeah, no, it's been it's been a lot of fun. Um, so uh, you know, for the podcast that goes snit, of course, uh, Twitter is that snitcast. You can like the Facebook page. Um, you know, shares and retweets are always appreciated. And I'm going to steal a page from Make Ours Marvel. Um, so, uh, until Lady Deathstrike decides to give up her vengeful bloodlust and honor Wolverine's memory, and then forgets that she did that, <laughs> make, make, make Ours Wolverine. <laughs> So until next time, everybody, hugs and snicks. Thank you so much, John, for coming on, and we will see y'all later. Bye. All right. And snacked. <laughs>